We've now passed the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing, and all eyes are back on the moon. NASA is planning to return to the moon by 2024 with its Artemis mission. The Chinese have put the moon firmly in their plans for space exploration, and even SpaceX thinks the moon is the perfect destination to test out the capabilities of its starship. But what can you do with the moon? Refuel spacecraft with resources drawn from the lunar regolith? Mine its helium-3 for your fusion reactors, build a lunar amusement park. In fact, the far side of the moon might make one of the best platforms we have for radio telescopes. One side of the moon is completely blocked from Earth's constantly increasing radio traffic, giving it the perfect view to the most sensitive radio signals in the universe. Like many large moons in the solar system, the Earth's moon is tidally locked to the planet. Although it used to rotate from our perspective, interactions with the Earth's gravity slowed down the rotation until it could only show us one face, the near side. A new NASA study proposes sending a special radio telescope mission to the far side of the Moon, where it's completely shielded from the Earth's transmissions. It's called the Far Side Array for Radio Science Investigations of the Dark Ages and Exoplanets, or Farside. The $1 billion probe class mission would involve sending a 590 kilogram lunar lander and rover to the far side of the moon. A blue origin moon lander would do the trick. A rover the size of Spirit or Opportunity would deploy 128 dual polarization antennas across a 10 kilometer area on the moon, tethering them all together with network cables to the lander, which would do central processing, power, and data transmission. Seen from above, the string of antenna nodes would look like a four-petaled flower with the lander at the center. From this location, the radio observatory would be completely shielded from Earth's radio transmissions, but also protected from the radio interference from the Earth's auroras and plasma noise from the solar wind. The lander would be equipped with a pair of nuclear batteries to allow it to continue science operations through the two-week lunar night. The rover would be equipped with solar panels, getting all its work done during a single lunar day. Over the course of the 14-day lunar day, the designers think the rover could deploy one petal, dropping a new node every five hours or so. Over the course of four lunar days, or four months, the complete telescope would be deployed. Since it wouldn't have a direct connection to Earth, Farside would need to relay its communications through the Deep Space Gateway, or a dedicated relay satellite deployed at the Earth-Moon L2 Lagrange point. So what would you do with a radio telescope this protected? It would have a continuous view of many nearby stars, tracking their activity for coronal mass ejections and other particle events. This would help astronomers better understand the stellar activity on other stars, especially red dwarf flare stars, which often have Earth-sized planets in their habitable zones. When stars first form, they're much more active than older, more mature stars like our Sun. They can release powerful coronal mass ejections that constantly pummel their planets. New research from NASA's MAVEN mission showed that one of the reasons Mars is so dry is because coronal mass ejections early on in its history depleted its atmosphere. At this point, coronal mass ejections have never been detected on any other main sequence star other than the Sun. If any of these stars do have planets in their habitable zones, 
the array could detect if those planets have planetary magnetospheres like the Earth and Jupiter. During periods of enhanced solar activity, the Earth's radio emissions will increase by several orders of magnitude. It's believed that these magnetospheres are absolutely critical to the formation of life, protecting the planet from cosmic rays and solar radiation. It could see if the star is generating deadly flares and coronal mass ejections and see if the planet is capable of protecting itself from them. That's really exciting and would provide serious candidates to search for biosignatures, evidence of life. The Farside Telescope could observe objects within our solar system too, searching for any kind of electromagnetic activity from the Sun to the Kuiper Belt. In addition, it could probe the warm interstellar medium in a region around the solar system. As a bonus, it could actually help probe the interior of the Moon down to a depth of about 2 kilometers. But one observation astronomers are most excited about is that it would be able to scan the 21 centimeter signal at redshifts of Z equals 50 to 100. Was that part gibberish? No problem, I'll explain. Thanks to ESA's Planck satellite and NASA's WMAP, astronomers have made incredibly precise measurements of the cosmic microwave background radiation, photons of light released when the universe was only 380,000 years old. In 2018, the Planck collaboration released their final results, detailing variations in temperature that differ by one part in 100,000. These differences in temperature are the signatures left over from regions of higher and lower density. And the higher density regions turned into the kinds of large-scale structures that we see all around us in the universe today. But how did the universe go from those initial densities to the mature galaxies that we see all around us? When did the first stars form? How did the first supermassive black holes come together? NASA's James Webb, due to launch, you know, eventually, will be able to peer back in time to about 100 million years after the Big Bang, when the first primordial galaxies were coming together. The time right after the background radiation was released is known as the Cosmic Dark Age, when the universe was transparent but the first stars hadn't formed yet, a time up to about 100 million years after the Big Bang. There's a trick to be able to look into this time in the universe known as the hydrogen 21 centimeter line. Hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, but cold hydrogen doesn't emit any kind of light. But in 1944, Hendrik van der Hulst predicted that cold atomic hydrogen between 100 Kelvin and 3000 Kelvin should emit the occasional photon at a precise frequency of 21.1 centimeters, which is firmly in the radio spectrum. For cold hydrogen, the electron orbiting around the proton can have the same spin directions, called parallel, or they can have the opposite spin directions, called antiparallel. And the energy state of the antiparallel electron is slightly less than the parallel state. Every few million years or so, an individual hydrogen atom will spontaneously flip from a parallel state to an antiparallel state, releasing a photon with this very specific 21 centimeter frequency. Although it's an incredibly rare event for an individual hydrogen atom, huge clouds of neutral hydrogen will release a detectable amount of them, if you have a sensitive enough radio telescope properly shielded from other signals. This signal is blocked by the Earth's atmosphere, so to really see it, you've got to be in space. 
the far side telescope would be exactly the right machine to trace the signal from these clouds of neutral hydrogen before they collected together into the first stars, which would then go on to become the first galaxies perceptible by Webb. Farside is still in the initial proposal stage, but the designers believe it could be built, launched, and deployed within six years from when it gets the go-ahead from NASA. Good news! There's actually a radio telescope operating right now on the far side of the moon, but it's not what you're expecting. And I'll talk about that in a second, but first I'd like to thank Mai Kettenbach, Les Howard, Krishna Sagaraju, Herman Buskaj, and Jeff Wilkie, and the rest of our 849 patrons for their generous support. Thanks to their support, we can do this work full time. And that's why I'm able to spend so much time in the comments answering questions. Join our community at patreon.com slash universe today. As you probably know, the Chinese Chang'e 4 mission was sent to the far side of the moon about a year ago, deploying a lander and rover to explore the region around the moon's south pole. Since the mission isn't visible from Earth, China had to send a communication relay satellite called Chechao. After a year of operations, the satellite deployed the Netherlands-China Low Frequency Explorer Instrument, or NCLE. This consists of three 5-meter-long monopole antennas sensitive to radio frequencies in the 80 kHz to 80 MHz range. Although this instrument isn't completely shielded from the Earth's radio transmissions, it's far away and mostly free from Earth's interference. Its primary objective is to observe the universe searching for that telltale 21 centimeter neutral hydrogen emission line. Unfortunately, the deployment of the antennas didn't go as smoothly as hoped. They started unfolding smoothly, and then their deployment got more sluggish. The team decided they'd operate the antennas at the shorter length, gather as much data as they can, and then try to deploy them to the full length. At the shorter length, the antennas will be sensitive to signals about 13 billion years ago, about 800 million years after the Big Bang. And once they're deployed to their full length, they should be sensitive to signals right back to the cosmic microwave background radiation. With various nations eyeing the moon as a destination again, it looks like one of the best early uses will be to deploy a radio telescope on the moon's far side far away from Earth's radio transmission and interference. From this unique vantage point, we'll have a clear signal right back to the beginning of the universe, a time so early that the first stars and galaxies hadn't even formed. What do you think? Is this the best idea we've got so far to use the moon? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Here are the names of the patrons who support us at the $10 level and more. Want to see your name here, support the work we do, go to patreon.com slash universe today. Once a week, I gather up all my space news into a single email newsletter and send it out. It's got pictures, brief highlights about the story and links you can find out more. Go to universetoday.com slash newsletter to sign up. And did you know that all of my videos are also available in a handy audio podcast format? So you can have the latest episodes as well as special bonus material like interviews with me show up right on your audio device. Go to universetoday.com slash audio or search for Universe Today on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll put a link in the show notes. Now, I've also talked about the potential of putting a traditional visible telescope on the moon, maybe in one of the permanently shadowed craters at the moon's southern pole. And you can learn about that with this video now.